welcome to Koshian Cast, the podcast that's almost as much fun as playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. <laughs> My name is Matt, and joining me today is a very special guest, Matt. Uh, hello. Hey, well, it's good to be back in the present tense. This is, uh, for the first time in a couple weeks, not a pre-recorded episode. Um, right. So, uh, I am now married, wedded. Uh, hey, congratulations. Honey- honeymooned, yes, you were there. So, uh, yes, you know. I was. <laughs> Um, anyway, so that's, that's fun, um, but I am, I am looking forward to getting back into, uh, the routine here, uh, on week five of the spring anime season, uh, where we'll be covering every sports anime that aired between April 30th and May 6th. Um, I have, uh, one important announcement, which is that I, uh, bought a Nintendo Switch, which <laughs> is a pretty big deal, pretty transformative. Right. Um, I've been able to play Breath of the Wild on a Wii U, but I, you could have too, I guess, but you chose to wait for the Switch in order to finally play it. Yeah, I mean, I just knew that if I got it on the Wii U and played it, I would end up getting a Switch later and playing it again on... Right. I mean, just... I, I didn't feel the need to purchase the game twice. Right, and as you know, I'm kind of a collector, so I'm just kind of like, eh, right. whatever, it's fine, I'll end up playing it again on the Switch anyway, I know it, may as well just play it now on the Wii U. Uh, also, uh, one other announcement I do have, right, uh, real quick, mm-hmm. uh, we do have to change our format a little bit with um, Encouragement of Climb. Uh, so... Uh, earlier today, I sat down to watch Encouragement of Climb. I threw it on, and I noticed something very odd about the uh, the first episode of the second season. It was 13 minutes long. Uh, and so then I naturally decided, okay, well, let me check out some of these other episodes. So, our original plan was to cover three episodes a week for uh, Encouragement of Climb. Because, you know, we kind of figured that'll just get us through the entire season. Well, as it turned, we did not realize that the th- uh, the second season actually has longer episodes because what series does that? Well, yeah, because the first season the episodes were three minutes long apiece, right. so we we're doing three at a time it was nine minutes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, so what we've what we've decided to do instead is just do two episodes per week um, because we feel like that's still manageable without having anything overwhelming. So we'll do two episodes a week for the rest of the spring season, and then with whatever's left. Um, we'll just do one episode a week for about the first half of the summer season to finish it up. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, it's not exactly elegant, um, but it'll get the job done. Yeah, pretty much. We ju- we kind of just want to make sure we get through it, but at the same time, we don't really want to kill discussion on it, so... Right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, a lot of this kind of hinges on the alleged announcement that's supposed to come in July... Uh, there's supposed to be an announcement about Encouragement of Climb, but they haven't specified exactly what it is. Um, so uh, my guess is that means that they're going to announce that there will be a new season in the fall. Uh, but if they somehow announce that there will be a new season in the summer and, you know, they're announcing it in July and they're going to announce, oh, oh, this new season is going to start basically right away, then, you know, we'll cross that bridge if we have to. Yeah. But... As long as we get this done by the end of summer, I think we'll be okay. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Matt, if you don't mind, I would like to move on to Yawamushi Pedal. Go right ahead. Okay, cool. So, this is episode 17. Uh, it begins with a very ominous cold opening with uh, Komori, uh, ba- like, ominously looking over his bike after washing his hands and claiming he's going to ride in the inter-high. Uh, all that setup is for a uh, is for a ride where Imaizumi and Sugimoto are just sort of briskly riding along. We have to have some film material talking about how much Sugimoto, how much it means to Sugimoto that he seems to be helping out Imaizumi and Inoda. So Imaizumi agrees, and then all of a sudden he gets a he gets felt up by uh, Kamori. Uh, and Kamori is very excited and terrified by his immense musculature. Also, there are some scenes about Anoda freaking out over having to be the front runner of the Inter High, because you know he was the winner of the Inter High the previous year, and he's kind of freaking out, wondering how it is he's even supposed to ride a bike now. Oyagi yeah. comes in and kind of calms him down a little bit and tells him, "Hey, you know you're carrying the souls of our team of our seniors with us, and that'll be and you know just keep in mind that'll drive you forward. Yeah, you're not the same racer you are before. You are stronger, 
And mm-hmm. the the episode kind of ends in a nice little place uh, with Anoda now feeling confident and ready to start off the Inter-Eye. And the episode ends with them shooting off the gun, signifying the beginning of the race. Right. Uh, so, yeah, not a lot of meat to this episode. Not really a lot of anything to this episode. No. Oh. It's it's supposed to be building tension, right. I guess. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, one small thing I did mention. There was one other reveal this episode. It wasn't important. It was Midosuji basically screwing over one of the other racers on the team. Basically, it's meant to be a head uh, mind game for the rest of them because... Uh, for the rest of the teams in the inter-high because... Uh, he basically is replacing the guy with Komori. Yeah, so there's this side character on the team that we're never really introduced to. And up until the day of the inner high, he told this this other guy on their team that he was going to be the sixth man on their team. Then he switches him out at the last minute for Komori the masseuse. Um, and the rest of his team is all confused they Midosuji never talks to them about any strategy, never even has Komori practice with them, so none of them are even, even knew he was anything other than a masseuse. They didn't even know he knew how to ride a bike, um, which just does not seem like a way to build a successful team if your own team members don't know the strengths and abilities of the people riding with you. Right, and I mean, to be fair, that does play into what Midosuji's character was last season... Yeah, uh, be- once again, because he is incapable of changing, even though, by all accounts, he should have. Because what was the point of everything he went through last season if he's exactly the same character? Right, exactly. Like, literally all he learned was, I need to be more evil? Yeah, uh, exactly. Or I need to have an equally evil person with me. <laughs> right. Like, because, I mean, I guess he has learned to trust on somebody else, but, like, he needs to... And, I guess it's, but it doesn't really seem like this is really that much of a change for him because his entire reaction to Komori from when he was introduced was like, I finally have somebody useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, I guess the fact that even Midosuji uh, acknowledges him does kind of signify, I guess, some level of talent for him. I guess that's supposed to be the whole like, ooh, he's really that good because even Midosuji trusts in him. Yeah. At the same time, I kind of feel, like, I actually don't have a problem with the way that their team is playing out with the whole, uh, like, hiding it from the rest of his teammates, you know. Like, I think uh-huh. that would have been a great way to introduce, like, a new rival school. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, once again, we've only seen the three schools. Like, it's as if no one else is even in this race. Right. And, and, like, the way I'm seeing... Like, the way that this is playing out in my head, in a, in a series that had a little bit more foresight or, you know, one actually was, like, trying to mix up its formula a little bit, like, they would have... Like, Midosuji would have learned his lesson from last season and, you know, would learn to finally ride for his friends or whatever. Uh sure. And then, you know, like, what I'm seeing here is then you have some other new scheming main character, you know, who's basically, who's maybe a bit of, like, a Midosuji light. And then in during the race, like, Midosuji actually has to go up against him and kind of, and, you know, he races against him and, you know, he has to show him, you know, this is the era. I used to be like you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they have, like, a big, like, climactic race against one another. And then that guy can beat Midosuji because, you know, that proves, like, no, this guy is the real deal. He is terrifying. But no, it's just Midosuji again. Like, and I mean, I guess I can kind of understand the mentality somewhat because, you know, it's like, well, why bother making a new Madosuji if you have Madosuji lying around? But, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I don't know. I digress. Yeah. Uh, So you did mention the scene where uh, Sugimoto and Amaizumi are warming up together. They're just on this short track where they're getting ready for the race and Kamori sneaks up on them. And then he grabs Imaizumi's leg and sticks his hand up Imaizumi's shorts. Right. It's super creepy looking. Um, and Imaizumi reacts like, hey, did that guy just touch me? Like, super calm, like, you know, especially for what a 16-year-old boy would not react that calmly to someone sticking their right. hand up his pants. Right. It, it feels like it was a scene that was written explicitly for, uh, like, for fan service. Yeah, fan service, yeah. essentially. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, here we go. Here's this character reaching up this boy's shorts. And, I don't know, I feel like it kind of crossed the line there a little bit. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it comes with the territory of these shows. Sometimes, you know, have these kind of weird, like, suggestive moments. That, that one got a little bit too close for 
comfort. Yeah, it was a little too well animated. <laughs> you know, that reach and stuff. Right. It was just built to be rewatched. Um, so the the one thing that's a little bit interesting from that was he said, Oh, you know, am I, are you are you feeling sick? You know, you don't seem to be at your full strength. And, you know, of course, Sugimoto is like, what are you talking about? Imaizumi always rides his hardest. Um, but Imaizumi is super serious, so clearly... And, and because what we've established is that Komori's touch is infallible. Right. And every, everything he intuits is correct. Um, well, I mean, that's basically true of everyone in this show. If they ever confidently assert something, it's true. Right. Um, so... Uh, so Komori can sense that Amizumi is not at his full strength, whatever that means. Um, so where do you think they're going to go with that? Because obviously that's foreshadowing something. Well, considering the fact that this entire series is built around... This entire season is built around base, just replicating the past season, uh, I'm going to... Oh, he's going to be Kinjo and he's going to get injured partway through. Yeah, exactly. And then he has to pass on his will to the rest of the team. It's going to be Kaburagi. Yeah. And he's going to be like Kaburagi... You have to be the ace now, or something awful like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Because, again, the series apparently can't come up with any new material. Um, here, here was my hope. Okay. I'll, I'll, and I don't think it'll happen. And because it's not going to come up again for until, like, two years from now when the next season comes out. <laughs> um, my, my hope is that um, in, this mirrors something from well so they were talking a lot about alternates how someone who's injured doesn't have to ride again so what if that means that imizumi gets injured but it's not on the last day it's like like kinjo did it's on like the first or second day and so then he gets substituted for koga and then koga wins the inner high it's not gonna happen but what if it did though? <laughs> it would make a much more interesting series if they if the if they actually like just dumped a main character like that. Yeah. But Imizumi is way too popular. And this is like this new this current arc was written at a time when the popularity and like the fan base of Yamushi Pedal had already been established. I would be mm-hmm. absolutely shocked if this if this actually uh, amounted to anything else. Yeah, I can't imagine they're actually going to have a substitute come in. Um, I think it'll... It, it's like we said, he'll just like pass on his spirit to Kaburagi right. and it'll be awful. Because Kaburagi continues to be awful. <laughs> um, and what about the fact that he didn't... Like, Kaburagi was the most super supportive, nice teammate, even though he spent the whole last episode being like... Is this team even strong? What am I doing here? What if they all suck? Yeah, no, that got kind yeah. of thrown by the wayside here during this episode, where uh, he has to he has to come in for a little uh, anime fist pa- group fist pound there and be like, "Yeah, I'm part of this team too. Like, we give you a, we're all going to give you our strength, Anoda." It's like, wait, yeah. weren't you just complaining? Like, is it like weren't you just speculating that Anoda wasn't as good as you thought he was? And in fact, exactly, yeah. And if anything, right now Anoda's proving it because he's freaking out. Right. You know, shouldn't there be some aside where Kaburagi's like, oh, look, he's freaking out like a weakling. Maybe he's right. Maybe everything I believe is a lie. But no, he's just super calm, of course, because right. the show is ridiculous. Yeah, th- there really needs to be, like, a breakdown of this team and then have them rebuild themselves back together in the middle of the inter-high. Cause that's kind yeah, of the... I mean, of course, that's that's gonna happen. Right, but, I it, like, it feels like if they're gonna do that, they need to be doing that now. Right. Yeah, exactly, because all their problems have been, except for Imizumi's hidden shortcoming or whatever, all their issues have been resolved. Yeah. They're pretty much set. Um, so, we'll see. Um, hopefully we can get through the first day um, <laughs> by the rest of this season, but I'm not necessarily... Oh, jeez, like... I, I, I think we could, at least the first day. I think day. they could, yeah. Like, hopefully they can do the first day in eight episodes. I mean, I think that's actually pretty consistent with the first, with Seven, the, uh, maybe. with the second season, I want, no, the first season yeah, of the show. the second season of Yo Beta, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's actually pretty consistent with it, so we'll probably get another couple big races in here, uh, and then we'll get, like, a nice climactic end to the first season, and then there'll be some big twist at the end. Like I'm gonna if this season actually ends with the main ca- with the captains of all three teams losing like having a three way tie I'm just done. 
Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It that I could see it. <laughs> I could see it. Yeah. So, um, if you don't mind, would you at all uh, be opposed to moving on to something else terribly disappointing and onto Tiger Mask? That was a really smooth transition. I, I just want to compliment you on how concise <laughs> and efficient you were with your words there. I, I um, am a wordsmith. What can I say? Yeah. Yeah. You're a word something. <laughs> um, all right. So this is a Tiger Mask episode 30. Uh, picks up directly where the last episode left off. And so uh, NJPW and GWM are facing off. And Ms. X declares... Uh, that they are going to have a quote-unquote final showdown. Um, and the uh, GWM is going to challenge NJPW in one climactic battle, and their champion, you know, Tiger the Great Third, is going to fight the NJPW champion, and whoever wins gets to force the other organization out of Japan, effectively. Um, and uh, Tiger Mask himself is disconsolate because he's effectively betrayed both sides and now doesn't he, he realizes he's lost his shot to fight the third he doesn't know what he's gonna do um he has some reconciliation with takaoka and hinata um and he managed it's not hinata is it it's, no it's not it's harna harana gosh all these shows are starting to blend together <laughs> um i didn't even he, notice it's fine. Um, so he, he gets put in a separate match uh, uh, before the final showdown in this uh, against a new wrestler, of course, from GWM named Universal Mask, <laughs> um, who is a gymnast, and they they put some like bars uh, uh, on top of the wrestling ring. So he's like swinging from these bars and landing on Tiger Mask, but then... Tiger Mask gets some prescient advice from Fukuwara Mask while he's announcing and figures out the key is to fight back. It's not really clear. Um, and he manages to defeat Universal Mask. Uh, and the, o the only other important reveal is that Fukuwara Mask and Tiger the Great Third uh, have a little run-in at the end of the episode. Um, and uh, Tiger the Great reveals that Fukuwara Mask used to be his coach in Tiger's Den, but Fukuwara Mask left because he got sick of it. Right. Um, so can I just say real quick, I think uh, Fukuwara Mask is about the only really redeeming thing about this show. Yep. He is consistently yes, yes, yes. the only character with anything interesting going on with his... Yeah, any motivation? Yeah, with any motivation, with any... Well... Hey, Tiger Mask has a great motivation. He just wants to fight Tiger the Great the Third. Yeah, he wants revenge he wants. like a great hero would. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, blind, unethical revenge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like any superhero would have. Yeah. And I, I know that there are more in-depth superheroes than that, but I don't know. I've harped on this on my own for the past couple weeks while you weren't here, and I know you've already heard my arguments, uh, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just... This is this show has no idea what it wants to do. It doesn't know if it wants to be like the original, if it wants to be like an homage to the original Tiger Mask, but building off of it. it doesn't know if it wants to be just a dumb super, a Saturday morning cartoon. It doesn't know if it wants to be like a serious like wrestling drama. Uh, and again, the only thing that's really ever been interesting about this is all is Fukuwara Mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in terms of themes. I thought the fight, though, with Universal Mask was actually decent, yeah. you know, as far as things go. Yeah, I mean, all things considered, I mean, like, you got some pretty you got some pretty decent choreography there, you know, you get some kind of fun, uh, you know, like, acrobatic moves from Universal Man, you get to watch Tiger Mask try and do his own- Universal Mask. What did I say? Man. Oh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Universal Man. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I liked, well, what, what kind of made me laugh was- so these bars that are hanging above the ring are pretty high up, right? Um, so I'm mean, setting aside the fact that no one can physically jump that high, uh, which they do repeatedly right. immediately after being injured multiple times. <laughs> um, so right. So setting that aside, uh, 
it is kind of funny that Universal Mask, his specialty moves is like hanging from the bars and then falling on Tiger Mask. <laughs> and like Tiger Mask never sees it coming. <laughs> <laughs> it takes Hugo Arm as the point where it's like, hey, don't just watch him. Like, look at what he's doing. He's like, oh, exactly. okay, sure. Yeah, uh, of course, you know, his actual advice was, the deer hunter doesn't see the mountain. Yeah, I don't um, quite understand and, what the point of that was. And he, he yells, he yells this while Tiger Mask is being hung by the neck between Universal <laughs> Mask's legs. And then somehow Tiger Mask is able to listen, discern the metaphor, and then break out of the stranglehold. Right. Uh. Um, I, I I guess what it means is that, like, okay, if you're a deer hunter, you're looking straight in front of you, but you're not just, you're not looking at the mountain, you're taking, you're taking in everything in your field of vision so that you can see when the deer appears. Right. I guess. <laughs> Um, right, but I mean, it's like, why even say it in a metaphor like that or a parable like that in the first place? Like, well, I think it was because of what was brought up later, so Miss X says, like, how could you give direct advice to a wrestler when you're, comment oh, when yeah, you're commentating? And he's like, I d I'm just talking about deer. <laughs> I guess it, does, it gave him, a, like, a little out, like, uh, you can't prove I did anything, so... Yeah, except before that, the other commentator asked him, why did you say that about deer? And he said, <laughs> well, I said it as a metaphor so that he'd know he shouldn't, like, have too narrow a field of vision. And Miss X was sitting right next to him. <laughs> yeah, I didn't really quite think that one through. Yeah, um, and, and then she's like, why did you give advice? He's like, oh, you're talking about deer. She's like, I just heard you. Like, <laughs> just because you dress up like a clown doesn't mean I can't hear you. <laughs> um, can I also bring up something kind of silly in this episode, which was... So, like, you didn't mention this, the, about the fact that he went up against Universal yeah. Mask. Uh, it was, he, the, this was a big reveal because he was actually Miracle 4. Uh, he was the mysterious fourth member of Miracle 4. And they have this big reveal where he unveils... Where he takes off his mask and is hiding... <laughs> and it's a new character you've never seen. Yeah, exactly. It's like, aha! I am Miracle Mask! I am Universal Mask! Okay, we don't know who Universal Mask is! Well, I guess, again, like you were saying, because this show doesn't know what it is... That is a reveal for people who watched the original. Because, oh. like Takaoka said... Oh, yeah, there was a universal mask oh, yeah. back when I was fighting, and uh, he was an aerial fighter. Right. And so I think that's why it was a reveal. Right. But, I mean, if you haven't seen that, then you wouldn't know why that's... Right. And I, I just wonder, like, how many people watching this week-to-week -week in Japan have seen the original? Right. Like, I can't be... There can't be, like, that many nostalgia-addled adults who are going through it. It's like, yeah, I remember watching Tiger Mask when I was a kid. Oh, man, it's Universal Mask. Like this. Well, right. And that many... People who watched Tiger Mask as a kid and then watched 30 episodes to see this reveal. <laughs> like, I mean, I feel like most of them would be like, oh, okay, well, I'm an adult, so I don't have to watch this. They probably would have watched one or two and right. been like, oh, this is a terrible show. Yeah, probably. Like, I, I don't really feel like that there was that much, like, diehard Tiger Mask fandom from back then, you know? It's not one of those series that it seems like it is. It was kind of one of those shows that people... Well, I, I don't know. I mean, it, the character has endured... In, you know, the Japanese pro wrestling stuff. Right. So obviously there's something there. But again, we're commenting completely out of ignorance. So. Right, exactly. Um, the, one, the one other point, I didn't bring it up in the summary because I don't really know how to address it, but there was a scene with Takuma. Yeah, I was actually going to bring that up too, but you go ahead. Uh, yeah, so it showed Kevin vi visiting <laughs> Takuma... At his rehab appointment or whatever. And so Takuma's sitting there and he's, you know, learning how to walk again in the pool. Yeah, I yeah. didn't realize he got injured that poor. But anyway, so he's learning how to walk again in the pool. And of course, his personal trainer is Ruri, the only nurse in Japan. Apparently. <laughs> and um, so Kevin comes in and he brings the uh, green tea pudding that Takuma likes and a giant bouquet of flowers. <laughs> You know, like normal bros do. Anyway, and again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but um, it didn't, it, it seemed like he was super excited to see him, and then Rory walks in for his appointment, 
and suddenly Kevin gets really jealous or angry or frustrated. And so while Takuma is doing his appointment, Takuma literally tells him, he's like, hey, you can just wait right there while I go through this appointment and then we'll hang out after I'm done. Is that okay? And Kevin says, yes. But then he sees Takuma out there spending time with his physical therapist. (laughs) uh, And he leaves in a huff. Um, So here's the question. Are they trying to set up a pairing? <laughs> like, is this supposed to be like Kevin has a crush on Takuma? You know, it's funny too because I totally saw. I like as soon as Takuma and Rory were going to start interacting, I kind of guessed that there was going to be a bit of a love triangle there. Yeah, but I thought yeah. it was going to be with Tiger Mask and Takuma. I didn't think it was going to be Takuma at the center of it, and then Kevin and Rory. Right. And even though it's like I thought that that was gonna be, I th- thought that was gonna be the mis- the romantic misunderstanding was gonna be Tiger Mask getting jealous of Takuma being like rehabilitating by your by Rory and being like oh he gets to spend all this time with her now. Uh, well, it's possible that it, it could be a, a love rectangle. Yeah, I mean I guess. Th- that's still that's still on the table, but it seems like the direction that they're actually going in is Kevin's apparently yeah. jealous of Takuma. Or uh, jealous, well, of, jealous of Rory. Yeah, jealous yeah. of Rory getting to spend time with Takuma. And again, that's fine, but like it was never established. Right. I mean, before. he is like immensely overprotective and invested in this situation with Takuma getting injured. Yeah, so much that he wants to kill Tiger Man. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah. Anyway, it just seemed it, that scene. That's the only interpretation I can get from it because that scene couldn't have accomplished anything else. Right. Uh, like it had it didn't offer anything else. I, he brought flowers. Like that right there is yeah. kind of like okay, that's not something that dudes generally do for one another. Like two guys who are probably like in their mid 20s, they're not bringing each other flowers. Right. And again, like, so if this is the direction the show wants to go, great, fine. But But it seems to do it in episode 30 out of 39 and to bring up this, you know, new plot element. And anyway, it just, once again, the show spreads itself too thin. It it tries to have too many plots, none of which are earned. Right, exactly. Um, But I'd like to talk about a show which uh, does actually earn its plot points. Please. uh, Specifically, Big Wind-Up. Episode 5. <laughs> this episode jumps into the third inning of Nishira's practice match with uh, Mihoshi. And there's a lot of focus on this episode of Kano um, and Mihoshi trying to understand each other. And there's sort of a lot of build-up on why Kano... Kano is really fixated on... Mi, Mi, uh, Mihashi's performance and as such when he actually gets up to bat against uh, Mihashi he gets tricked by one of the pitches uh, he grounds out and he tries to dive into first base so Kano dives into first base but he still gets called out um, and then his catcher Hatake criticizes him he's saying like, why, why are you risking getting an injury in a practice game you shouldn't dive into first and he says like you know why aren't you taking it seriously mihashi's a great pitcher and we need to go out there and score some runs yada yada um so when kano comes back on the mound he ends up giving up he gives up a walk he gives up a couple base hits and he ends up giving up two runs in his inning and it seems like he's really thrown off his game um mihoshi uh, gets back together as a group and Oda sort of counsels them says like hey whatever happened in the past we need to come together as a team now we need to focus on the task at hand um, and we need to take Mihashi seriously um, separately Abe sort of figures out that Mihashi even though he is doing well he still in his heart of hearts wishes he could be back on the Mihoshi team um, he wants he, he reg- still regrets the fact that he didn't earn their respect so Abe realizes that part of the reason that Nishiura needs to win is in order to convince Mihashi that he belongs with them not with the Mahoshi team right <clears throat> yeah so I, I think one of the, the strongest aspects of this episode 
Uh, well, there are two points I was really impressed by watching this episode. The first of which was when uh, when Kano went up to bat, and there's mm. this part where uh, where Abe analyzes him, and he's kind of yeah. and it kind of goes through this. Uh, he kind of like mentions like you know it's like okay, so he does this uh, like he's doing the same routine that he did when he first was up to bat. So he's superstitious. Uh, yeah. He's really focused on Mihashi, so he's clearly taking this game seriously. He's definitely not careless, despite the fact that he's kind. Of, it seems like he's swinging towards anything, uh, and you know, kind of goes on like that. And what was really impressed? There are two things that really impressed me about that. First of all, it's a great way to kind of. Um, it, it speaks a lot to Abe's character. It really goes like in depth with like the with like just the level of. Um, analysis that Abe can go through. Like, it's a great way to build his character. And then secondly, and I think what was most important to me, was the fact that it can make this sort of scene compelling with very little animation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just sort of looking back and forth between the two characters, but it is still really, it's interesting in terms of revealing the strategy at hand. Right, exactly. It's able to kind of do this with very, it's like, this was a show that was really suited for the budget it had, because mm -hmm. it can rely on the strength of the original writing, and on just the mind game that's being played here without having to, and, and that way it can actually save its animation, because it's not a, like a terribly animated show. Like, it no. doesn't look bad at all, but it can kind of mm -hmm. save, like, its animation budget for just those moments when it needs to. Otherwise, it can kind of rely on the strength of the writing. Uh, and that was just something that I... Like, that really hit me when I was watching that scene. Yeah. Uh, the second scene that really stuck out to me... That really stuck out to me was when Oda was calming the group. Largely, like, when he was calming his own team. Uh, largely mm -hmm. because... Uh, I think a lot of other shows would make it really easy to say, like... No, the original coach was... Per was like... Kano's the one who's entirely in the right here. They're not taking it seriously enough. Uh, <clears throat> they, uh, but you know, it's like no. The original coach had this vision for Mihashi that just the rest of the team couldn't figure out. Mm -hmm. What I really liked about that though was Oda came in and is like, uh, look, uh, look here, man. The team was still failing before, and he was still insisting on putting Mihashi on. There was clearly some nepotism going on here. Okay, like let's not yeah. let's not pretend that this wasn't something it wasn't. That being said. He is clearly playing a very strong game right now, so we still need to consider that, guys. And exactly. He's sort of like, hey, I wasn't here when this happened, and I don't really care. Like, what does it matter whether he used to be good or not? Like, let's take him seriously because he's doing well today. Right. And I, I think what I liked about that was that the series had the sense to, like... This isn't, like, a shonen world. Even though it has a very sports shonen setup... This isn't the type of world that it's in where, like, everybody, like, where the coach has this sort of infallible vision, uh, the players are, like, basically, they have to be the ones who recognize, like, the plan that was on hand hit, that was, like, mm -hmm. that was going through his head. Yeah. Uh, no. Yeah. No, this is a world, no, this is the real world. This is a world where people, like, yeah, a player like Mihashi can kind of get by based on the fact that they have family in higher places, okay? Like... Let's not pretend that wasn't the case. And I, and I think what that really did for me, uh, you know, it kind of helps sell the world to me. Um, and not only that, it kind of helps out uh, build up Oda's character. It kind of makes him a lot more of a... It makes him a more likable character than what they were kind of hinting at for him before. Uh, because when he first was introduced... He, uh, he kind of just sort of came off as just sort of the lazy, uncaring one. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, I'm just the star player. You know, they brought, it's like, you know, I'm going to play my own game here. He actually has a much more pragmatic view than pretty much any of the other characters we've seen. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, a lot of the other ones on Mihoshi are pretty tied up in what happened in junior high. Right. And they're still trying to work through what happened in junior high to some degree or another. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, he can't, he's a nice outside presence for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. No, I, I agree. I thought it was, it was a really fun episode. It was, of the, the shows we watched this week, this was definitely the best one. <laughs> Which is a um, shame, because it's not even airing right now. <laughs> right. Um, right. Uh, I, I like the continued use of Tajima being awesome. Right. Um, one thing I wanted to comment on, um, so in that, that inning where Kano got roughed up, 
So he started off the inning with a four-pitch walk, meaning he threw four straight balls. He wasn't able to get any strikes. Right. Um, and then there, uh, the coach, Momoe, she actually, she immediately asked Abe to do a sacrifice bunt, meaning, you know, he just levels his bat in front of the plate and he drops the ball right in front of home plate so that the runner can get to second base. Um, and the one thing I wanted to say about that, so there was, you know, no outs, one person on, and that's almost a stereotype of how Japanese baseball is played. Interesting. Um, because in the, in the United States, you know, that was the way it was played a long time ago, uh, but there's a lot less reliance on sacrifice bunting right. now than there used to be. But in Japan they play, you know, what what we would call small ball, where they focus on, like, doing really precise plays to advance runners forward and giving up outs in the process. Um, so it was just interesting to see that, that, like, it was obvious that you have to do a bunt here. There was no question. Um, but if this was an American show, it wouldn't necessarily be a given because um, the American style of baseball has sort of gone away from the sacrifice bunt being used in that situation so much. It's interesting too that you bring it up like that because, like, I like there's a lot more there's there's less individuality portrayed in a lot of Japanese shows, uh, and mm -hmm. it's interesting that that's the way that Japanese baseball has evolved because you know the sacrificial bunt you're kind of sacrificing your own glory for the sake mm -hmm. of the team. Whereas in the U.S., yep. you know, we kind of have this whole, like, everyone's a star mentality. You know, everybody needs... Well, yeah, everyone should at least have the opportunity to be a star. Right, know? exactly. Like, so you don't you don't tell... And, and again, of course, in American baseball, plenty of times people are asked to bunt. Like, of course it happens, but the rate at which it happens in Japan is considerably higher. Right, exactly. So it's it's interesting that you bring that up because it's kind of an interesting, like... It's an interesting way to look at uh, baseball as a sort of metaphor for how the country has evolved, in a way. Sure. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily what they were going for, but... Oh, no. I mean, I, I think what they were going for is just, this is what a normal baseball game looks like right. in Japan. Right, and that's kind of a, like a lot of the theme of the show. It's portraying like what baseball is really like. It's kind of taking away a lot of the romance of it. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say... I think it's still somewhat romantic, but I think it's... Yeah, it's not hyperbolized. Right. Exactly. Um, like it's But it's it's kind of like it's kind of like a more of a pastoral I uh just in, in that it's it's a perfectly nice day for a baseball game. Yes, they're real high school students. Yes, they're going through this real thing, but it one thing that I've been thinking about the last few weeks with this is the music. Um it's really interesting if you focus on the music that they use in this show because they have almost no hype up tracks right. a lot of times with these sports series anytime there's a conflict or a confrontation they'll have these intense hype up tracks for people to get you know powered up and go up to 11 and whatever uh that's really not a factor here it's pretty quiet throughout um and it sort of emphasizes the fact that these are like two teams of like 15 and 16 year olds playing in an empty lot and nobody's watching right um by themselves just on a nice summer day uh and so what, what i like about that is that it keeps it it doesn't try to make it into this more sort of universe shaking confrontation right. than it is it even if it is intense or interesting or strategic you're still aware throughout the whole thing that you know, these are a couple of kids playing in a park on a Saturday afternoon. Right. Yeah, and it's interesting you bring that up because it's like you brought up the music and literally my first thought was, is there music in this series? Barely. Yeah. yeah. Basically, it's just like there's the opening theme which really stands out. But beyond that, like, yeah, there's not really any music uh, that plays throughout. Mm -hmm. And so it's like it's kind of there. It's kind of there to sort of set a little bit of tone, but, it, but really it sort of relies on... The situation at hand it's kind of there to sort of help set the tone but it's not really there to like make the tone as it would in something like say i, I don't mean to trash on the series but yaomushi pedal sure. uh, where a lot of the hype oh you don't mean to trash trash yaomushi pedal sure Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah like but but that's well, a show where like a lot of its ahead. big moments are kind of made 
buy the soundtrack. And that's not a bad way to do it, but in Big Windup, it's sort of actively resisting that. Yeah. It's... What, what I like about it is because there was... So there's a comment early in the episode where Hitake criticizes Kano and says, like, you know, why are you diving into first base? You could have hurt your finger or whatever. You know, this is a practice game. Why are you taking it so seriously? Um... And you realize throughout this episode especially, the reason why they need to take it seriously is that because Kano is taking it seriously. There's something inside Kano where he needs to prove himself. He needs, he has, you know, some fixation with Mahashi that he needs to get over. Right. And this is the only way he's going to get over. And it's the same way with Mahashi. Abe realizes in this episode, like, oh, the reason we need to win is because Mahashi will not be... He needs to move on. This is the only way anyone's going to move on. Right. Um, so I like it because the reason that, you know, everything is so quiet is because there's no external excitement. Like, a lot of the times when, when we see these shows where there's, like, the intense battle music, it's because they're surrounded by a crowd and they're all going crazy right. for these high school athletes. Um, but in this show, no one's going crazy and all the intensity is internal to right. Mahashi and Kano. Uh, so it fits, you know, it all fits. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it's a bit more naturalistic. Yeah. Um, speaking of nature, uh, do you do you want to uh, discuss encouragement of climb? Sure thing. Uh, so I am covering episodes one and two. Of, of the second season. Of the second season, yes. Sorry, I should specify that. Uh, so the first episode is about a camping tr uh, trip, quote-unquote, that Aoi and Hinata have planned out. Uh, originally, I, I think they were talking about before about going a little further in, but uh, Aoi's mother kind of vetoes that because she, you know, Aoi is just sort of just getting into this stuff and, you know, she doesn't want, like, a bunch of girls kind of isolated out in the middle of nowhere. So right. they instead decide to camp out uh, in uh, Hinata's yard. Uh, and uh, they invite along Kaede and Kokona. So their little friendship group, group is growing. Uh, they have a lovely night camping. Uh, they have this whole thing where they... Uh, uh, there's this whole thing where they have to clean up their when they were making food. And Hinata decides against it. Instead she goes to take a bath. But then everybody else gets a bath. And then they spend the night uh, It's just sort of out in the tent having fun. And then that's pretty much the entire episode. Uh, right. second episode has a little bit more meat to it. Uh, it follows, uh, so the entire premise of the episode is that Hinata wants to impress or surprise Aoi with a viewpoint of Mount Fuji. So she decides to, so she gets, uh, Kaede and Kakona together and they sort of, ha they plan out where they're going to go so that they can surprise her with this beautiful view. Uh, it decided on going to Mount... Sorry, I know we vowed never to use our notes, but I do need to look at this. Uh, Mount uh, Mitsutoge. Uh, because it's got a very nice... You can kind of, like, walk up and see the view. Also, they sort of decided it at random. And they start along the path. Uh, Aoi is excited to see this. She's a little nervous, but she decides that Hinata really wanted to do this, so she's going to try and give it her all. That's kind of where the uh, episode ends. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, thoughts, Matt? Thoughts? Um, <laughs> I mean, one thing that, that stuck out to me, I, I guess for these, since we're doing, uh, we, we'll just sort of jump back and forth between the two episodes. Yeah, that's fine. Um, one thing that stuck out to me, especially with the second episode, is it felt like there was a real emphasis on the artistic design of the the world right and they these characters happened to be walking in it you know so it was the 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 focus here was on creating these beautiful scenes for them to sort of right. pass through um so the plot wasn't so much a plot it was as much as evidencing like here's what it can look like when you go on these kind of trips. Right. Um, and it's the same thing with the first episode. It was saying, hey, here's how easy it is to set up a tent. And, you know, they're not wrong. It's not that hard yeah, to exactly. set up a modern Yeah, exactly. I tent. was actually going to comment on that, on that myself about this whole, like, yeah, all you have to do is just kind of pass the guidelines through the proper holes. Like, it's kind of a stereotype in a lot of, not just Japanese shows, but especially in American shows, like the whole, like, frustrating setting up the tent experience. And it's like, 
it's not actually that difficult. Like, you, right. you don't have to be intimidated by it. Yeah. So, again, it's it's showing how accessible um, <clears throat> hiking or mountain climbing or whatever they want to call it in that episode can be. Uh, and it continues to do that effectively. I think, you know, the design, they're right where they need to be on their budget in that there's not too many big scenes, but the right. ones they do have, they they design really well so you get to sort of live in them for a little bit um i kind of to be honest i don't know if the amount of chemistry with kaede and coconut is earned no it's not because they were kind of thrown in as a foursome in the last episode of season one and now they're very you know i mean they're main characters now basically I get it, yeah. I mean, and at this point, because they're all in the opening, they all have to be equal levels of friends, more or less. Right. They did kind of need... They did need to have an episode where uh, Hinata had a bit more of a bonding experience with the two of them. Because I can kind of buy it for Kakona. Just because, you know, at the very least, she did have that sleepover episode with Aoi. Right. And it's like, you got to see them clearly bond. You know, they got to know each other and they had a great time. Like... And I do kind of buy the the idea that Hinata is just, like, <clears throat> they're sort of part of the same friend group, but not necessarily that close. I think uh, the big problem I have there is Kaede, who really hasn't done a whole lot. Yeah, what's she doing there? Yeah, like, she was some random girl that Oi oh, met in the uh, hiking shop, and, like, they exchanged phone numbers. Like, and, you know, right. it's nice that Oi oh, called her, you know. I can see them at least getting closer, but it seems a little... It, I'm not actually... I don't mind the fact that she's part of the group. It is a little soon. Yeah, it's it's just funny, because I'm trying to imagine someone who, <clears throat> one, you know, she's a year older than Aoi and Hinata. Right. She's, like, two or three years older than Kokona. Um, and, she, yeah, they met up at a hiking store once, and then they, like, had a phone call, and then they hung out one time, and, uh, then Aoi calls and says, like, hey, you want to camp out in Hanada's backyard? <laughs> um, and she's like, yup, super down. Yeah, super um, down with that I feel nasty. like most people would be like, um... I mean, I go mountain climbing a lot. That doesn't sound that... Like, there's... For her characters, there's some novelty to spending right. the night in a tent in the backyard. For Kaede, there is no novelty. She does that all right. the time. I don't really understand what the motivation is. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And it's even weirder, too, because she also doesn't really do much in that episode, either. Yeah. Uh, Other than, like, walk around with, with just her sports bra on, and everyone's like, whoa, Kaede. Right, well, I, to me, in their defense, the the uh, the concern about that was that she was doing that in their in uh, Hinata's living room, and, you know, she does live with her dad. Uh, yeah, I, I, I get it, but it just seemed like, does this scene need to exist? Nah, probably not. But you know what? I'm going to give it some credit. I'm going to give the show at least a little bit of credit. Uh, you were talking about the uh, the soft the, the colors before. I think what I do appreciate about it is that, yeah, they got cute girls walking around and being cute girls together. But what's interesting about that is that the, um, the girls themselves have very soft colors to them so that they feel like uh-huh. they're more part of the scenery. Mm-hmm. They blend in. They blend really in really well. well. So it doesn't really feel... It, it, it kind of takes a little bit of that, like, kind of creepy edge that a lot of the other shows we've watched have had, where they have, like, very, where the colors just sort of pop yeah. out at you, and it's like... Yeah, they're super shiny. Yeah, and they're yeah, trying to clearly totally. draw attention to the girls. Here, it's just like, hey, you know what? We got some beautiful scenery. Yeah, you want to look at some cute girls? Yeah, we got them here, too. Right, I mean, but yeah, and the the tones, especially with their clothing and stuff, is a lot more natural. They don't wear these bright, crazy colors. Yeah, exactly. Know? Like they feel like they they feel like they should at least be where they are. Yeah, and those look like out like normal outfits, not so fan servicey outfits. Yeah, per se. precisely. Um, and even you know, and even with that scene with Kaede, again, like a little annoying. But again, she was wearing a sports bra. Like all things considered, they didn't. They didn't capitalize on the size of her boobs, which a lot of shows right. do. They didn't really focus on like having her wear anything particularly revealing. Right. Um, so that that was nice. Um, the one thing, my one complaint was actually from a scene in the in the first episode, um, when they were in the tent and they were like, "Oh, we should have we should talk about ro- tell romance stories or whatever." Yeah. Um, and there were so they all go around and they ask. 
oh, are there any boys you like? And they all separately reveal that, no, I am interested in no boys. <laughs> um, just so that, you know, you can have your waifu all to yourself. Yeah, it's, I it's a little much. Hey, to be fair, Kokona apparently wants to, uh, has a crush on uh, Muma, the, the mascot thing, the mascot deer. Yeah, it's like a reindeer mascot. Yeah, I whatever. I mean, I mean, but I mean, really. Yeah. And of course, Kaede like, oh, are there any boys you like? And Kaede's like, well, maybe mountains. It's like, okay. Okay, I'm actually... <laughs> Little on the okay, nose. so we here's the thing. Because that that is a joke that actually does work in oh, Japanese. Wow. Uh, to an extent. Because in Japanese, oh. you actually do refer to mountains uh, as they were people. Um, oh, that makes that other joke more make more sense, where they kept referring to, like, fuji -san. Yeah, exactly. Uh, like you, because I think the other mountains you uh, you refer to as Kun, but because Mount Fuji is so popular, you refer to him as Son. And so big, yeah. yeah like he's yeah. so beloved that he's just like another member of the family. Uh, so you refer to him as Son. Uh, uh, so that actually, so you're not wrong. It's a little cheesy, but that uh, in Japanese, I think that joke does make more sense. Okay. Yeah. All right. Oh, I'm glad yeah. you told me that. Yeah. Anytime. Yeah. But. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so we got left off on a real cliffhanger on episode two where they're, you know, starting their ascent. But what will happen next? Oh boy. <laughs> it could be really dangerous up there. They could see deer. Yeah, maybe exactly. squirrels. Oh, it's just terrifying. I don't know. Well, I, I uh, await it with bated breath. Um, but Matt, I appreciate your time. As always, it's good to be I'm back. Super glad to have you back, man. All right. Well, uh, thank everyone for listening. We will uh, see you next week. And until then, Matt, could you do me a favor and hit the credits? I would be glad to. Our logo design is by James Ratcliffe. The theme music is Fly High by Burnout Syndromes, covered and performed by Luke Bartka. You can follow Koshiencast on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. And our email is koshiencast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll be back next week with the best and worst from the world of sports anime. And until then, keep training. <laughs>